<laughs> In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Please have a seat. Thank you, Lynn. That really gives me a lot of confidence as I, as I preach for the first time in this wonderful space. And as you can see, I, uh, well, and Betsy are the only ones wearing red. And that's because, from my standpoint, I don't follow instructions, apparently, very well. Richard uh, emailed us properly. Betsy, on the other hand, there just weren't any white stoles left. So, so, uh, so hence the, the little bit of flash. It's kind of... If you don't know me, I'm Rob Gieselman. I'm the rector at Christ Church in Sausalito, and I can't tell you uh, what, what an honor and privilege it is to offer thanks with you to our God, who is so good to us. And uh, I want to especially thank you for being here uh, to offer thanks, to remember uh, the gifts that have been given to us. And we just heard from Matthew, and Matthew paints Jesus uh, as a Moses figure. You may not know this. Moses, as you'll recall, was born when Pharaoh was uh, going about killing baby boys. He was saved surreptitiously and raised in Egypt. He saved the people and issued law from the mountain. Jesus, too, was born when a ruler decided it was an okay thing to kill baby boys. And he, too, was saved surreptitiously and raised partly in Egypt. And he, too, is a savior and is also uh, issued law from a mount, mountain. Not new law in Jesus' case, for as he plainly said, I came not to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. This new law, then, is actually an explication of the old. He's fleshing it out, if you will. Now, the poems and aphorisms of the Sermon on the Mount belong to one of two main genre, law governing the relationship between you and other people, and the law governing relationships, your relationship between you and God. Tonight we find ourselves in that second part, the law governing your relationship with God. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. And poetically, meditate on the birds of the air, how they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, and yet Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. Poetic though these lines are, the very fact that Jesus speaks them on the mount makes them commandment. You are not to fear Aren't you more important than the flowers? Aren't you more important than the birds? God loves you, and that is why you don't have to be afraid. Why you don't have to fear. Like I said, it's nothing new. The prophet Joel says the same thing. Be not afraid. Fear, after all, is corrosive. It erodes over time the steel frame of your spiritual and psychological constitution. Or as the motivational speaker, Michael Pritchard, once said, fear is that little dark room where negatives are developed. <laughs> but the truth is we have been afraid this past year. We have been sore afraid during this global recession. 
Maybe you've already forgotten the fear that you felt, but I can tell you I haven't. I remember clearly one year ago in the course of thought of processes that I engaged and found in others also, would our nation fall into depression? Was it worse than 1930? Would Social Security fall apart under its own weight? Would uh, the church pension fund tank? <laughs> My, <laughs> never. <laughs> My... 401k was half its level of the year before. Would I have anything left by the end of last year? I wondered. And Judy Barber in my congregation and I actually team taught a class on spirituality and money during Advent, as it turns out. And she asked the class to do what she called the what ifs. What if your fear is realized? What if you do lose your job? You do have less money. She said, run the trail, find out where you'll end up. And at the end of my what-if trail, I saw myself <laughs> growing my own food and living in a cabin in the country, <laughs> which if you know how well I grow vegetables, you'd be laughing pretty hard about now. <laughs> I smile today at the apocalyptic thoughts that were dancing through my head, but they felt real. Fear took roots. As it turns out, and I don't need to tell you, many of these fears among us prove to be well-founded because many people have lost jobs, homes, savings, and retirement. But Jesus is still compelling. Fear is unacceptable. Wonderfully and graciously, you don't you know how much God cares. I have a friend named John. He's building his own retirement by purchasing distressed residential properties that are in foreclosure. He happens to be a widower. He raised his kids by himself, and they, they're out of the home now. He knows what it means to struggle as a single parent. And Last month, he told me a story about, for, uh, about purchasing a condo that was in foreclosure. After he closed on it, later that day he walked through the condo to, um, to see what kind of improvements it needed so that he could lease it out, whether it needed paint or carpet or uh, other types of repairs. And as he walked through, he came to the master bedroom, and he walked in the master bedroom. Of course, it was empty, just like the rest of the condo. But then he opened the master closet door. And when he opened that closet door, he saw a box sitting in the back of it in the corner on the floor, a box that the owner for some reason had left behind. And of course, John didn't know the owner. He didn't know why they would have left a box behind. He had no way of knowing that this condo had been owned by, as it turns out, a single mother who was struggling to raise her kid alone, her daughter. But when John opened the box, which he did, he could see this immediately because the box was full of photographs, pictures of the woman and her child the baby, the daughter taking a bath or playing on the swing set, the two of them at the beach. Later, John learned the full story that she had lost her job, that her ex was behind on child support. Did any of this matter to John? As far as buying a foreclosed property, he wasn't a bad guy. Purchasing the property at foreclosure didn't make him a bad guy. He was really no different 
frankly, from this woman only just a little bit farther along in his life. But you see, the purchase to him had been sterile until this point, until this very minute. He didn't need to think about the humanity of the owner who'd lost her home. But now looking at her photographs, he connected with her at some deeper level, soul to soul, human to human. And you might think, if you're in his shoes, that this woman was afraid at having been essentially evicted. But she was not afraid. She believed in future. Hers and her daughter's. And although she'd moved in with her parents, she was keenly aware that this arrangement was temporary, that it could not last. What would she do? I don't know, but she was not going to be afraid. Yet John was oddly afraid for her as he knelt in the closet, flipping through her photographs, observing the irony there but for the grace of God thought he. But you see, the grace of God appeared in both places, didn't it? In the hardship of this Madonna raising her child, and in the routine of this erstwhile innkeeper turning Madonna out. There is no room, and yet in God's world of promise, there is always room. He packed up the box, of course, and he found her and returned it to her. And he saw then, to his astonishment, that she was thankful, not to him for the box, but deeply appreciative. She exuded some astonishing sense of gratitude. And how does one thank God deeply this Thanksgiving, regardless of circumstance, regardless of fear? Surely if we've learned one lesson this past year, it's that we need not fear, that we need not be afraid, for you are loved, you are perfectly loved. Consider the lilies of the field, for they spin not, neither do they toil. Such tangible love of God, the promise that, as Julian of Norwich wrote, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. You can hold that hope tightly in your hand. You can squeeze it and take it up to your heart. Don't you see? It is not being destitute that will kill us, not being hungry or poor or with reduced financial security that will immobilize us. It is the fear, the negative developing in the dark room. But I think now on the fear that I felt, my own spiritual struggle that year ago, and this is, this is what I conclude. A couple of years ago, I was in church listening to Hugh Harden preach. And to be honest with you, as is often true of sermons, I don't remember what he preached. <laughs> but he said something that triggered in me a deep sense of eternity. It was as if I caught truth like I, you might catch in your dream a shooting star. And the truth that I caught was this. Everything I possess is gift. Sounds simple enough. Everything I possess is gift. Each physical possession, all my food, all my health, but more, each breath. That's a breath I didn't start life with. 
one more than I deserve. What did I do in order to deserve or get that breath? My lungs pulling oxygen into my bloodstream, dividing it and sending it, the oxygen to my brain or heart or other tissue, life itself that I neither earned nor do I own. Thanksgiving is so simple. It's the simple yielding, the acknowledgement of gift. All things come of thee, O Lord. And once you see all as gift, well, how can you be afraid after that of such little nuisances like recessions or depressions or or what will we eat or what will we wear? For isn't it true your Father in heaven loves you far more than these? Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.